our uh, uh, blocks inside the furnace uh, resisting at uh, seven hours uh, of uh, uh, 1800 Fahrenheit uh, temperature. Wait, wait, seven hours of 1800 degrees Fahrenheit? Well, that's very odd. I'm sure you could cook a pizza or even an egg in that. Oh yeah, you'd probably burn all of that. Well, that's a really, really hot temperature. How are they able to build materials that will withstand that? And moreover, withstand wildfires and fires because that's a very big problem. Hi, I'm your host Akshay, and in this episode, I'm going to take you into the science of these fire-resilient materials with help of Dr. Mikel Barbado. He studies fireproof materials and is working on making these fire-resilient materials at UC Davis in California. And he knows a lot about these fire-resilient materials that may be one day used to build fire-resilient homes. Let's get right into this amazing science. Hello, Dr. Barbado. Hello, Akshay. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. So can you please introduce yourself to listeners? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Michele Barbato. I'm a professor of structural engineering and structural mechanics uh, at uh, the University of California, Davis. Uh, I'm also a co-director of uh, the UC Davis Climate Adaptation Research Center and the director of the Citrus Climate Initiative. Uh, and uh, uh, very recently, I became also one of the co-champions for uh, uh, the Climate Grand Challenge at uh, UC Davis. So a lot of climate. Yes, a lot of climate. So what, were your, what was your team's motivation or driving question to build these special fireproof housing materials that we're going to talk about later in this episode? Yeah, so actually uh, the the story is a little bit longer than uh, just the fireproof uh, uh, idea. Uh, We started working on uh, earth blocks uh, while I was a faculty in uh, Louisiana State University down in Baton Rouge. Uh, And uh, the question that we had was, uh, can we build houses that are uh, sustainable, uh, affordable, uh, and that can take uh, what nature uh, is giving to housing, uh, uh, particularly with climate change. We were uh, very focused on uh, hurricanes. Uh, I was a faculty there uh, um, uh, shortly after uh, Katrina. Uh, There were a lot of uh, people uh, displaced uh, by the hurricane. And uh, we were looking for uh, a new solution uh, for housing uh, um, that was uh, able to sustain hurricanes, but also that was competitive uh, in terms of costs. So we started uh, investigating several different uh, potential materials, uh, and uh, we started getting very curious about uh, uh, earthen materials because they were eating all of the right uh, spots. Uh, they were affordable, uh, they were sustainable, uh, and uh, with the appropriate design, they could take uh, hurricanes, tornadoes. Then we investigated the, through a project with NSF uh, how to design them uh, for uh, uh, earthquakes. Then in 2018, I moved uh, uh, to California, to Northern California in Davis, and uh, uh, just a month and a half, two months after I moved here, uh, uh, we had the big campfire. And uh, I just did uh, two plus two. We have this material uh, that um, has all of these nice properties. And uh, we know that soil doesn't burn. 
So can we design houses that are also fire resilient with this material? And that's uh, the research that we are doing right now. And uh, the preliminary results are very, very positive. Wow, that's really, really good. And it's glad to see that those results are getting there. We might get to true fireproof and and these really resilient houses maybe sometime in the future. So let, let me just uh, um, clarify something. Fireproof uh, is a very strong uh, um expression um generally we don't like to call a house fireproof because it's uh, almost impossible to do a house fireproof yeah. um what is fireproof is the material so the walls are non-combustible and can be made fireproof um you still need to have a lot of care in all of the other details, doors, windows, vents, and all of that, because if embers enter inside a building, the inside cannot be fireproof. You have all of the things that are very combustible. So um, the walls are fireproof with this technology, but you need additional attention and other technologies to make the, fire, the house really fire resilient. Wow, that's a really good explanation of fire resilient versus fireproof. So what are the fire resilient home materials that you're developing and how did they work? Yes, yeah, sure. So we are working on what is called the compressed and stabilized earth blocks. Um, if uh, you are familiar with Adobe, it's fundamentally an engineered version, a modern version of Adobe. Uh, we are making bricks with the soil by adding uh, a chemical stabilizer, typically cement uh, or lime uh, or a little bit of both. Uh, this stabilizer is really to provide additional uh, resistance uh, to weather uh, and the water, uh, which uh, historically are a big problem with the houses that are made just on mud. And then we are mechanically compressing it without any heat or without any additional energy applied to them to make it into something that is very strong from a mechanical point of view. So we get both the durability to weather and the mechanical strength that is needed for building not only houses, but also things like uh, schools um, and, and other buildings uh, that are uh, one or two, maybe even three, four stories, depending on uh, um, how seismic the place where you want to build them is. So fundamentally soil, the, the large majority of the material is soil. Um, is soil that is taken a little bit uh, um, deeper than the surface soil because we want a material that has as little as possible organic material. So we don't want to have mixed with it wood, grass, that kind of things, because those are bad for the for the strength. And also topsoil is actually um, a very important resource for agriculture. So we go about three to four feet deep and we use that soil to make our bricks. So fundamentally, the idea is uh, with the right machine, you can uh, make the hole that you would uh, do for your foundations. And with that soil, uh, you can 
pretty much build almost the entirety of your walls, at least for a one-story building. Um, so that's uh, that's the type of material. That's the process that we use to to build it. Well, wow, so you just compress that dirt and add a few additives, and then it becomes that fire-resilient brick. Correct. So how so, will these bricks be arranged when you're building a house or a school? Well, the, the, you can use the same uh, uh, technologies that is used for any other type of uh, masonry. Um, the difference is instead of having the typical brick that is a fired clay brick or the typical uh, um, concrete uh, um, masonry unit, you're using uh, our uh, blocks uh, that are made with dirt. Um, we are also working on uh, um, an additional uh, uh, technology that is based on uh, using interlocking blocks without uh, mortar. Uh, fundamentally, these are uh, huge uh, uh, Lego blocks made of dirt, um, and uh, you get two advantages with that. One, uh, it's faster, uh, the construction, uh, because uh, um, the, the mortar phase is the one that is more time-consuming, and also uh, it's easier, because now you have uh, your interlocking element uh, exactly like the Lego block that make it so that you cannot put it in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, a, it's a, a technology that I think has a, a lot of promise because it reduces the cost and um, um, it has other advantages uh, that, uh, that we are investigating. Wow. So how do you test these fire resilient materials? We did uh, a few different tests. Um, um, the, the, the most important one uh, is fundamentally we put uh, these blocks uh, in a furnace uh, with uh, a certain time and a certain temperature. And then uh, we test uh, the mechanical properties before and after uh, being in the furnace. Um, and so with the, this uh, technique, uh, we were able uh, to uh, have uh, our uh, uh, blocks inside the furnace uh, resisting at uh, seven hours uh, of uh, uh, 1800 Fahrenheit uh, temperature, wow. which is uh, a pretty high temperature for uh, a normal wildfires. Um, in order to have higher temperature, uh, you really need to have some house material uh, and type things like gas or fuel that are burning. but. Typically, the wildfires is around that temperature, and our material resisted very well. Actually, um, strangely enough, the compressive strength of the material increased, uh, which, uh, if you think about it, makes a lot of sense. You transformed our uh, dirt blocks into normal bricks because the clay cooked and uh, they changed color. They became from brown, they changed into red, so they had those properties. How much? How much can it resist? Is it thousand eight hundred degrees Fahrenheit for seven hours? Wow! I think you could cook an egg on that, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, it is it, not uh, an ASTM uh, standard, but uh, typically, whenever uh, we rate materials for wildfires, we are talking about a rating of one hour, uh, thirty minutes, two hours, maybe three hours for concrete. Uh, this one 
goes forever. Yeah, it passes. Um, it passes that limit. I mean, I cannot say it uh, uh, because we didn't do an ASTM test for it, uh, but uh, all of the indications uh, are very positive. Um, so we also push it to the limit uh, and we were able uh, to classify the material uh, around uh, uh, 2200 Fahrenheit. Um, again, seven hours uh, uh, plus uh, at that time. Then what happens is that fundamentally starts uh, melting uh, and forming glass. Wow. Um, that, uh, I don't know if it is uh, a specific value that is only for the soil that we tested. We used the soil of paradise uh, because of, again, uh, the campfire. Uh, paradise, unfortunately, was uh, destroyed by that fire. And so we wanted to really find something that could be used locally uh, to help people rebuild their uh, their community. Wow, very nice. So, how much do these fire resilient materials cost? So the material by itself uh, is uh, very cheap. The, the The cost is uh, fundamentally how much it takes uh, for excavating it um which is obviously very limited in terms of cost uh, and also um it is easy to find the soil that works so ideally we are thinking about having uh, the compression machine that is needed to build them uh, going local and uh, use the local material uh, for building things uh, there are other possibilities like having uh, actually a plant that makes the bricks and all of that, but uh, you add the cost in terms of transportation. Um, so in terms of the base material, the cost is very small. Um, the real issue in terms of uh, why they are not widely used is that uh, uh, people are not very familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Um, including uh, building officials uh, um, who have not really uh, a lot of experience with the earth and construction in most of the cases, because 95% of the houses are built uh, using wood uh, here in the United States. Um, and so um, they are usually considered uh, a, um, some uh, uh, extraordinary material that requires additional uh, controls, uh, usually the signature of an engineer, uh, of an architect. Uh, and so these type of things are making, uh, right now the houses cost more. Mm -hmm. And so typically there are uh, two different types of uh, um, structures that are right now built using this uh, technology. Uh, very expensive villas, uh, multi-million dollar villas where uh, the issue of uh, getting someone to sign uh, is not a big deal. Um, and then uh, very poor houses, uh, um, uh, often unfortunately not uh, uh, really designed, which is uh, um, why for many people, uh, this type of material uh, has a bad name uh, because uh, when a structure is not correctly designed, it won't perform well. Uh, and we have a lot of uh, examples of uh, earthen constructions that have not performed well under uh, earthquakes because they were simply not uh, engineered to resist earthquakes. But I would say if you are building anything with any material, including uh, reinforced concrete and steel, uh, 
or even wood, and you are not designing it correctly, they will perform poorly uh, anyway. So it's not really a limitation of the material, it's more uh, a limitation on uh, how many people know how to use this material. Wow, that's really, so people just need to know that this material exists and then more people will be aware of it and more people will be able to use this for fire resilient homes. That's uh, at least the idea. Um, and it's not only the uh, owners or potential owners of the houses, it's also a, a process of education uh, for engineers, for architects, for building officials. Um, like for all of the other materials, uh, uh, we need to build a community that uh, knows how to build it. Uh, and we need to have enough uh, builders that are uh, willing to use this technology. Um, that there are very few builders uh, around right now that uh, know how to design and how to build this kind of houses. Um, so that's also a difficulty, even if uh, someone wants to do it, uh, uh, very often uh, they need to go to people uh, that are uh, several hundred of miles away from where they live, uh, which is again uh, one of the reasons of costs. But uh, if the technology takes place uh, and uh, uh, becomes bigger, uh, then all of these uh, uh, type of costs will go down uh, and then uh, uh, we have shown that actually with proper design, the cost of these houses is very comparable with the cost of wooden houses. Uh, similar uh, type, uh, depending on the place and on uh, the local uh, cost of labor, uh, you could have something that is a little bit cheaper, uh, like two, three, five percent cheaper uh, or five, ten percent more expensive. So the difference uh, just in the structural side uh, is not very significant. It's almost the difference of uh, getting uh, a luxury bathroom uh, versus uh, a normal bathroom. Uh, but uh, your uh, uh, safety with respect to fires will increase a lot. And uh, I suspect that uh, also the, um, the insurance industry will catch up on that uh, and we'll start uh, considering uh, the possibility of having these houses that are much more resilient to wildfires uh, and probably um, try to uh, have an incentive, an economic incentive for these type of houses. So when that will happen, uh, I suspect that uh, the, the, the community and the industry of earth and construction will really uh, take place. Until then, uh, it's, uh, it's gonna be just a few houses here and there. Wow, very interesting. So we have this earthen material. Now, what improvements are you working on and what new technologies and materials are you working on for the future? Yeah, so we, we are actually investigating uh, several different uh, um, options. Uh, on one side, uh, we are uh, working with the geopolymers um, to further improve uh, the resistance of this material uh, under uh, high temperature and wildfires. Um, so geopolymer, uh, uh, among the other things, uh, is also the advantage of removing uh, completely cement uh, from uh, the composition. Um, the resistance uh, to weather and water uh, is obtained uh, through other chemical uh, processes than, uh, than cement. So what are these geopolymers? 
these geopolymers uh, um, are uh, um, some materials where uh, you add uh, um, things like uh, um, uh, fly ash and uh, other materials that contains a lot of silica with uh, uh, materials that are activating them, uh, kind of uh, salt type of things that are alkaline. Uh, and then uh, they make these uh, reactions uh, that are uh, fundamentally forming uh, the same process in which rocks are formed. Wow. And so you generate uh, from uh, uh, materials that are uh, separated, uh, they, they put, you put them together and then they react chemically and they generate uh, uh, kind of a rock. Wow, that's very interesting. And this is all just happening right now. Imagine what could happen in the future. Maybe we might have like entire houses or entire neighborhoods that will not be affected by fires and we'll have everyone being safe from these fog fires and maybe even other weather events like tornadoes, hurricanes, or even tsunamis, which is just amazing to think about. Correct. That's, uh, that's uh, really the, the vision. Uh, having uh, materials that are, again, sustainable because we need to reduce our effect on climate change, yep. that are affordable because we need to make them available to everybody and that are above all safe because uh, we cannot continue seeing uh, disasters uh, on TV uh, every single time uh, something happens. And uh, I'm of the opinion that uh, there are no natural disasters. There are natural events. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it, the disaster comes when we are not planning for them. Yeah. So we need to plan for them. We need to acknowledge that they exist, that uh, in some cases they are becoming worse because of climate change. And we need to change the way we do things so that uh, we are less vulnerable to these hazards. And one thing, that that I the... one thing that I really like about your material is that you'll never run out of dirt, hopefully, <laughs> in the near Correct. future. But you will, you will not run out of the soil that's in the ground. So it's truly sustainable. It's truly sustainable in this world, especially with all this climate change and at talks of sustainable energy, sustainable, sustainable fuels, all that. This just meets that category. That is correct. It's uh, extremely readily available uh, almost everywhere and uh, is, is plentiful, uh, much more than uh, any other construction material uh, we can think of. Also, typically, the mining operation uh, is significantly simpler because, again, you are not going very deep uh, to find uh, appropriate soil. You just need to make a hole that is three to four feet deep, and then uh, you start picking it up. Uh, much easier than uh, in many other mining operations where you have to use uh, explosives or you need to make a very deep uh, holes in the ground. This one is, is easy. Yeah. And I wanted to add one thing to your previous question. Another thing we are working on is using 3D printing for this type of materials. Wow. Um, this one is not only for applications uh, on our planet, but this is also a little bit more futur futuristic. We are really thinking of how are we going to um, inhabit uh, other planets like uh, Mars or uh, even just the closer moon, where uh, you cannot really bring uh, a lot of material from Earth. So you need to use the local material. 
And uh, um, obviously, earthen material is similar to Martian material. So we have been doing a little bit of uh, uh, Martian blocks, uh, the first Martian blocks, uh, and uh, we are using uh, 3D printing for uh, for this kind of uh, applications that are valid uh, on our planet, uh, difficult to reach places or dangerous places. And uh, on other planets, uh, if we ever end up uh, building uh, anything uh, on those planets. So, yeah, very interesting. This is very interesting. So now moving on to the next generation, what advice do you have for kids who are interested in science? Maybe you want to develop your technology that you're developing now even further. But the, the thing that has always pushed me was curiosity. Um, learning uh, how things work and why, uh, not only what they do, but why they do the way they do it. Um, and I think uh, um, that's really the, 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 the skill that uh, you want to uh, exercise as much as possible is your curiosity. Um, with curiosity comes everything else. The other thing is, uh, um, and probably this may seem cliche, but uh, follow your passion. A lot of uh, uh, people sometimes uh, try to go into studies because they think, oh, this is paying better. And uh, what I tell always uh, my students is uh, your life, uh, in your life, you have 24 hours per day. You're spending eight hours working, eight hours eight hours sleeping. The other eight hours, you don't want to spend them uh, doing something just to forget how miserable you were during the eight hours you were working. So you need to find something uh, that uh, you enjoy doing, uh, you're good at, uh, and that can also pay your bills at the end of the day. Um, but uh, if you miss uh, one of these three, um, your life will become much harder. Um, so, yeah, very great advice. Just follow your passion and stay curious. That's some very, very great advice. Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed it and I learned so much about your fire, fire resilient homes. I shouldn't say fireproof because you're not truly fireproof. Fire resilient homes right. and how these technologies are evolving and how they could, in fact, help humanity in the future and help us stay sustainable. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. And I hope uh, that uh, everybody who will see this, uh, uh, this um, uh, podcast will enjoy too. And uh, we definitely need uh, all of the new generation uh, to, to continue on the path that we are uh, starting uh, to take now toward uh, a more sustainable uh, future uh, and uh, a more just future for everybody. Um, so I have uh, a lot of uh, hope for uh, for the younger generations. That's one of the reasons that uh, I am uh, a professor um, because of this continuous contact with uh, with the younger minds and younger people uh, and their enthusiasm and um, and so uh, it was a pleasure for me to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Spectacular Science. Spectacular Science is produced and hosted by me, Akshijit Raman. Our theme song additional music are by Charan Ramachandran. Special thanks to Dr. Mikhail Barbado. 
thank you so much for your time. I learned so much in this interview. Please visit my podcast website, SpectacularSci.com, to find interactive activities, articles, and blog posts. That's SpectacularSci.com. Do you have a science question you want answered on a new Spectacular Science episode? Well, grab a parent and head over to SpectacularSci.com slash contact to send me your amazing science questions. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to answering your amazing science question on some of these upcoming episodes. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Spectacular Science wherever you're listening right now. It really encourages me and you'll be up to date on all the new episodes. Subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Spectacular Science next week. Keep thinking about science.